And so what I'd like to do today is I want to just do a couple of things. I want to speak into the story of this congregation. And then as I speak into the story of this church, um, I'm also going to be speaking hopefully into your story. So if anyone is visiting today, or if you're new to Antioch and you're, you're completely unfazed by the merger, you really doesn't bother you at all, and it's not on your, your radar, I still think you're going to hopefully um, have some takeaways today that will strengthen you in your personal story. So go with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 15. It's, it's going to take me a few minutes to get there, but that's where we'll jump off here in a moment. And can we just pray one more time? Yes. Lord, uh, thank you for the history here. Thank you for the, the love, the warmth, the friendship, the years. God, that's irreplaceable. New friends are amazing, but it's impossible to replace history. History has to be built and lived. And so Jesus, thank you for all that's represented in the room here today. And and then would you just speak to us um, exactly as Christy was praying, Lord, we want to hear your voice. And so, Lord, we're all in the same place and we're all in different places at the same time. And so give each of us something that we need to hear to strengthen us as we move forward in the story of our lives. Amen. Amen. Story is massively important. Um, we are storytelling creatures. You know, the, the really great stories help us locate ourselves in life. You know, we love watching the great movies. We love what, reading great, great books because these stories create kind of a gigantic, you are here arrow. And they let us know where we are in our journey and in our process. You know, we say things like, oh, I, I love that scene when Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli went chasing after the orcs to rescue Merry and Pippin, because that's where I am in my life. You know, I, I'm chasing after some things that were taken or stolen or lost. And, and really great stories give us language to express what's happening on the inside of us. Yeah. And I know we get that, and I know this, uh, it's a common concept, but I want us to kind of sink into this idea of story for a second. So if you don't mind, I want to show you a movie clip. And it's kind of long. It's about three minutes long. But there was a movie that came out a few years ago. It's a Christian Bale movie called The Hostiles. And I know that when you watch the end of a movie without seeing the movie, the ending doesn't really impact you. But I just want to kind of, kind of soak into this idea of how a story can speak to my story. But um, in this film, this man and this woman lived through some horrendous brokenness. They faced some unbelievable battles. They, they almost didn't make it. They were almost killed. They fell in love along the way. They never acted on it. Um, they treated each other totally honorably. But at the end of this movie, their, their adventure is over. They've made it. And right when they should be riding off into the sunset, they are just too broken. Wow. And it's, it's easier to just walk away from love than to take the massive amount of courage it would take to open their hearts and risk for love again. So just, just in keeping with the story theme, um, can you just watch this with me for a second? Come on.
Thank you. Jessica, my wife, was not watching this with me. I was on my own. She was in the other room. But when this movie ended, that's not my story, but something about that story spoke into my story. And so I started replaying that closing scene over and over and blasting the music. And I made her come in the room. I said, babe, you have to watch this because this is us. This is our story. And I sat there in the living room just kind of weeping, saying, God, I don't ever want to, to, to uh, give up on the risk of love. I don't ever want to let past brokenness or past trauma keep me from the courageous act of stepping into whatever it is that God's calling me to. Story is so powerful. Story gives expression to the deepest places of our hearts. And sometimes the stories are intense, like the hostiles, and sometimes they're funny. <laughs> Do any of you old people remember the father of the bride? Yes. Remember Steve Martin playing George Banks? Well. A couple days before Amber got married, we watched that with Theo, my son-in-law, and we sat there, and every time Steve Martin would glare and scowl at the son-in-law, I could, I could feel Theo sinking into the couch, and, and Theo, several times, he said, wow, this is uncomfortably relatable, um, but, but listen, we are not only living a story, but, but we are also telling that story back to ourselves. 
So while you live the story of your life, you're also narrating it. And how many of you know it is very important how we tell the story of our lives to our own souls? In Romans 10, 17, the scripture says that faith, that's belief or persuasion or confidence, faith comes by hearing the message. So whatever message you repeatedly hear begins to grow on the inside of you. And so what is your own voice telling you about the story of your life? What's, what's your own voice telling you about what you're living? Are you struggling or are you overcoming? Can you never catch a break? Or are you like the apostle Paul where there's a wide open door in front of me, but yes, many adversaries as well. Um, what story are you telling yourself over and over and over? We have, to, we have to realize that our own voice in our head is the voice that's actually speaking to us more than, than any other. And when we learn to master this snor- uh, storytelling art, it, it awakens something in us. Um, uh, Passion City Church and Passion Ministries with uh, Louis and Shelley Giglio. In fact, Christy, I think you always really liked Louis Giglio. Um, they do a New Year's conference every year. And this last year, because of the train wreck that COVID was and, and all of that, they did a virtual uh, New Year conference. And so they linked up with people all around the world. And, and in fact, there was this one moment that was so powerful. I don't know if any of you saw the, the Passion 2021 event, but uh, Carrie Job from the States was singing the blessing with a worship leader in Brazil. And they had them all synced up together. And this worship leader was on a deck kind of close to the Christ the Redeemer statue, waving this Brazilian flag, singing the blessing while she was singing in the States. It was so anointed. And Jessica and the girls and I, we just, we we were moved to tears. But a couple days after the event, uh, Shelly Giglio posted this uh, picture on her Instagram feed. And so look at that picture and look at the caption that she wrote underneath it. If you can see her and then right in front of her is Louie and they're just at the altar worshiping and she said, this is us. And when Jessica and I saw that picture, we said, no, that's us. There's something about the way she framed up her story that spoke to our story. It's super important how we tell our story because the best stories usually win. So if you're in 2 Samuel 15, uh, I want to illustrate this concept of telling the right story, and then I'm going to just quickly look at one passage that will speak into the story of this church. Um, 2 Samuel 15 is a moment in King David's life when his son Absalom had just betrayed him. So he's fleeing the city, he's on the run, and quick backstory, there were two counselors in David's court named Ahithophel and Hushai. And these two guys, Ahithophel and Hushai, were so brilliant that their counsel was like the counsel of God. For a number of reasons, Ahithophel decided to betray David with Absalom. So Ahithophel became the the counselor to the rebellion. Hushai decided to stay with David. And in 2 Samuel 15, verse 30, It says that David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. 
So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. When David arrived at the summit where people used to worship God, Hushai the archite was there to meet him, his robe torn and dust on his head. David said to him, if you go with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, your majesty, I will be your servant. I was your father's servant in the past, but now I will be your servant. Then you can help me by frustrating Ahithophel's advice. So Hushai, if you want to help me, infiltrate the rebellion and match wits with Ahithophel. If you want to help me, I want you to pit your brilliance against his brilliance and counteract the brilliance of Ahithophel. So verse 23 um, says, in those days, the advice of Ahithophel was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. Hushai follows David's counsel. He, he approaches Absalom. Absalom believes that he's on his side. And then both of these brilliant counselors, Ahithophel and Hushai, have a chance to tell a story to the king and to give their best counsel. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he's weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring back all the people to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all, and the people will be unharmed. And this plan seemed good to Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Yeah, this was a pretty good plan. It was smart. It was efficient. It probably would have worked. And it was a little bit boring. Gather the men, attack David, end of story. And, and then verse 5 says, summon, Absalom is speaking, and he says, summon also Hushai the archite so we can hear what he has to say as well. And when Hushai arrived, he told a very different story than the story that Ahithophel told. In verse 7, this is how Hushai framed it up. Hushai replied to Absalom, the advice Ahithophel has given you is not good. You know your father and his men. They are fighters. They're fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he's hidden in a cave or some other place. If he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it will say there has been a slaughter among the troops of Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier whose heart is like the heart of a lion will melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. So I advise you, let all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you with you yourself leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found. We will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes. We will drag it to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. What, what a difference between these two stories. One is efficient, the other is artistic. 
One of them is utilitarian. It, it probably would have worked. But the other story is epic. One story is just kind of plain and boring. Gather the men, attack David, get the job done. The, the other one talks about warriors hiding in caves and bears robbed of their cubs and lion hearts melting and, and warriors falling like the dew on the morning. And, and um, which story won? You know what? Both stories were true. David was like a bear robbed of her cubs. And yet 12,000 men moving quickly would have been enough to capture him. So both stories were true. But the way one story was told um, captured the heart of the king. The best stories usually win. And you know, the, the church has not always been the best storyteller. Um, we have the greatest story ever told, but we don't always tell our stories in the best ways. I mean, think about the, think about the story of sexual purity that we tell young people. What is the story that the church usually tells young people about purity? You know what it sounds like? It usually sounds like this. No. <laughs> Maybe we say, wait. And I hope that's not the best we can do. Because that's not a story worth giving your life or your purity for. We have the greatest story ever told and we have to tell it better by the way that's what the best counselors do really good counselors help us reframe our stories they help us set our stories in a different context so that we can draw a different message from the story uh, this past year i've been talking to a counselor about some of the parts of my story that i've lived through and i've been asking her to help me reframe it and see is there any way of looking at this that could get me unstuck so this idea of reframing story was in my mind when I got a phone call from one of my uh, pastors on my staff and, and she asked if she could meet with me and she told me that she wanted to step out of her staff role and then also leave our church. So I went to their house, sat down, talked to them and they explained where they were coming from, what was going on, it was healthy, it was appropriate, it was fine. But at the end of our meeting, uh, this, this lady looked at me and she said, she goes, oh, thank you. I knew you would make this so easy for us. And as soon as she said that, this little voice popped up in my head and said, yep, you're easy to leave. And, and, and I sat there in her living room and I heard this voice, yep, it's easy for people to leave you. And it's easy for people to like your church for a little while, but then move on. And as this inner storytelling started to work on me, I just started sinking through the floor. But fortunately, I, I remembered my counseling. <laughs> so I thought about it a little bit later and I thought, wait a second, are there any other messages going on here? Is there anything else that I can take away from this? And immediately I heard a little voice in my head. I guess I hear voices a lot, but <laughs> this, maybe that's why I'm talking to a counselor. But, but this, this little voice popped into my head and said, that's right, you are easy to leave. And that's good. You don't want to be a jerk when people leave, do you? You don't want to be petty and pouty and mean to people. But then I heard another voice immediately that said, and you're also easy to stay with. See, this, this person had been on staff with me for 13 years. And she had never fully agreed with my philosophy and style and priorities. And so, so this other voice was saying, wait a minute, you, you can either say, how could you leave me after 13 years? Or, wow, how could you stay with me for 13 years when you never even fully agreed with me? 
The way we frame up our stories are huge. So what story are you telling yourself? What story are you listening to? And then what story are you saying to each other as you process this church? Um, uh, when I look at the story of Antioch Church, I see the story of God drawing from multiple streams of Christianity in order to weave together a healthy, anchored, safe, life-giving church. Uh, when I think of Antioch and where Antioch has been, um, th there are several streams that this church has grown out of. Um, I think the first stream primarily that this church grew out of was the stream of prophetic ministry. This is just the idea that God is actively speaking to us today. In fact, my wife and I became acquainted with this church in 1992. We came into town with a group of uh, ministry students. I'll never forget driving past the front range. We were having one of those intense weather patterns. Lightning was everywhere. It was awesome. We, we drove into the church and there was a staff pastor sitting on the platform just staring at everybody. A little bit creepy, but, um, but, but I didn't realize at the time that he was hyper prophetic. And so he was literally getting a message or an impression from God over every person that walked in the room. And, and, and for many years after that, this place was kind of a hub of prophetic ministry. Um, the other stream that this church grew out of is the stream of intercessory prayer. That would be praying God's heart for the city and the nation and the nations of the world. And, and I think another stream that's always been a part of this church, and Jonathan, you guys, wow, you sure are advancing that stream. It's the stream of experiential worship. You know, Psalm 34 tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. I think you even referenced that today, Christy. We need, we need more than a preacher telling us that God is good. We need to taste it and experience it. And, and sometimes experiential worship is one of the best ways for that to happen. So I think that those were the three main streams that this church was built around for a long time. When Jade and Christy moved here, they brought some other streams with them into this place. Some streams that this church didn't have um, at the same level it does now. They brought the stream of, of um, a heart and passion for world missions and the nations. Uh, this church has always had good teaching, but I think Jade and the team here have taken solid, powerful Bible teaching to a new level in this church. And then in recent years, oh, I love this. God has connected this church to the streams of early church history and tradition. And that has been so good. Listen, God is always doing a new thing, thus the need for prophetic ministry, but the new thing of God is never divorced from the ancient things of God. In fact, in Jeremiah 6.16, it says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Uh, Jesus said something similar in Matthew 13, 52. He said, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures and old. I just want to affirm you, I think this renewed commitment to the Lord's table, 
to, to baptism, to some of the more contemplative expressions of the Christian faith, it's so good. You're, you're, you're tying back into the stream of the apostolic fathers. And I don't mean like modern day apostle stuff. I mean the, the first and second century apostolic fathers and writers. And that's good and it's healthy. And I think <clears throat> that God has drawn from all of these streams to create a church that truly lives up to the name of Antioch. And listen, I know your name is about to change and I know your affiliation is about to change, but your ethos and your mission and the expression of God through you is not changing at all. And so what I'd like to do is I wanna end just for a few minutes here, walking through a passage that I think describes this church I imagine this has been preached a million times here since you became Antioch. But if you would, go with me to Acts chapter 11. And let me just highlight a couple of things from the original Antioch church that I think have become distinctives and expressions of your identity here. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, because this is your path, whether you're Antioch or New Life Midtown, that's kind of a cool name, you have to admit. <laughs> New Life Midtown, I kind of like that. I might join New Life. <laughs> Acts eleven nineteen says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. That word persecution, scattered by persecution. Persecution means to break by squeezing. It means to pile enough pressure and weight on someone until they crack, fracture, and crumble under the strain. Uh, have you ever lived that? Was that 2020 for anyone? Have you heard the song F 2020? I probably shouldn't say that in church. It's a great song. They don't, they don't spell it out. That's literally the, anyway, that's my girl's favorite song right now. Broken people staggering under the weight of their lives, made their way to Antioch. And, and you know what? It, it takes a special place to handle broken people. I don't know in the distant past, I'm talking many years ago, I don't know if this was always the safest place for broken people, but you've become that. And when I prayed about this church and really just thought about this, I just so wanted to affirm you, Jaden Christie and all of you, you have let God shape this place into a church that can handle broken people. Unfortunately, because of these people, their great brokenness, when they came to Antioch, they were only speaking to their fellow Jews. Verse 20 says, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. I loved your emphasis this morning on Jesus. Every song this morning was about him. Um, Jade told me you're doing a series right now on the book of Colossians. And that's so good because Colossians is all about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Do you remember um, old stories of searching for hidden treasure? Didn't it seem like old treasure maps always had this idea of X marks the spot? Find the X, start digging, and you're going to land on buried treasure. You know, well, for the Apostle Paul, Jesus is the X that marks the spot. He's the beginning, the middle, and the end of all treasure seeking. Listen, there's nobody like Jesus. Nobody else gave their life for you. 
Nobody else ever promised to be coming back for you. There's no one on the field of philosophy or world religion that can compete. Jesus is the first, middle, and last message of all true Antioch churches. And when Jesus, his person, his nature, you know, we use the language kingdom of God all the time. Listen, the kingdom of God is Jesus. Kingdom is Christ-likeness expressed in every area of life. Um, When Jesus is the message, verse 21 says, then the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And the news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And that was an interesting choice. You know, they could have sent Simon Peter. They could have sent Simon the Zealot. But when broken people start opening their hearts to the message of Jesus, they need a very particular atmosphere. Um, We all remember what the name Barnabas means, right? Barnabas was a nickname. His, His name was Joe. His name was Joseph. And, um, and yet he so radiated the encouragement of God that they nicknamed this man the son of encouragement. People who have been scattered by persecution will not make it in a church unless the ethos of the church radiates the encouragement of God. And Antioch Church lives, breathes, models, speaks, and extends the encouragement of God. And And then I love verse 23, it says, when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. I just just love this little thought that when Barnabas arrived and looked at Antioch, he saw grace. You know, you can see a lot of different things when you look at a group of people. You can size up a group and see whatever you really wanna see. He was looking for grace. Barnabas saw what the grace of God could do even in the most scattered of lives. And then it says that he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Antioch churches are wholehearted churches. And then this is cool to me. He was a good man. Sometimes we don't give enough credit to just being a good man. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He wasn't a a celebrity. He wasn't a rock star pastor. We say those kinds of things right before somebody has a failure. We call somebody a rock star pastor right before they crash and burn. That language has no place in the kingdom of God. Barnabas was a good man. You know, nobody gets any better than good, faithful servant. And people at Antioch are those kinds of people. Verse 25, verse 26, he reaches out to Saul, Paul, They find the next wave of church leadership. And I love how it says that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. These disciples so lived this message that they were nicknamed Christians. Little replicas, little image bearers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I won't read anymore, but in the next verse, we see prophetic ministry again. We see a heart for the larger church community around them. And then we see some social justice woven into this. There's poverty. There was a famine. And in the middle of the prophetic and all the super spiritual stuff, they took an offering and they sent relief and they engaged with the poor and they engaged with the world around them. And listen, guys, that's who you are. You you are not getting swallowed up by the big mega church. You're not going to lose your identity um, as you as you join. Listen, you are teaming up with a, a resource 
that's gonna take your mission here further. You're gonna help new life as much as new life is going to help you. And you're simply teaming up with a group of like-minded, resourced people to take the message further. You know what? Some of you probably left new life to come here because you like the distinctives that were here. But you know what? Churches change. People change and churches change and new life is changing over the years. And I think this is gonna be a phenomenal um, merger. So please be careful with the story that you tell yourself. And then be careful with the story you tell each other as you step into this merger. This is gonna be awesome. This is gonna be glorious. And um, let me have Jonathan come back up if you don't mind. Um, there, there was a missionary in China who gave his life to years of uh, fairly obscure service. And somebody asked this missionary, they said, why would you bury yourself in China? And when they said, why would you bury yourself in China? He responded with a storytelling perspective. He said, he said um, because I believe in resurrection. What a kingdom perspective. I'm not buried in China, I'm planted in China. I'm not buried, I'm planted to bear fruit. Your increased burial in this city is going to produce fruit that extends in the city and all the way around the world. And so let's respond to this idea today of, of connecting with our story. Um, Jade told me if I wanted to, I could be the one to invite you up to the table. So I would love to do that. As, as we receive communion with these little high-tech 21st century <laughs> contraptions, when you peel back this top layer and when you break that little wafer, symbolic of the body of Jesus being broken for you, and when you peel back the second tab and, and get to that juice, which is symbolic of life, the life was in the blood. When we embrace the body and the life of Jesus, we're connecting with our story. You're connecting with the story of those disciples in the upper room on that Passover Last Supper meal. And the other thing I like about communion is it's, it's like a wedding vow renewal ceremony. I just did a vow renewal service for a couple that have been married 35 years and they fought. They fought to make it to that point. And, and that's what this is. It's saying, Lord, you gave everything for me and I'm giving myself back to you. So let's just have a little vow renewal ceremony today. And let's step back into our story and let's receive God's work in our lives. So Jesus, thank you for, for being author of our faith. Thank you for being artist. Thank you for being creator. Thank you that you are not utilitarian. You are creative and artistic and epic. And the story of our lives are anything but dull and ordinary. God, I love how the scripture says of Moses' parents that when he was born, he was no ordinary child. Lord, there are no ordinary children. There are no ordinary stories. So speak to us, inspire us, and then, Lord, reveal yourself to us even in this moment of receiving the communion elements. So.